Welcome to the Better Business Podcast, a series for those business owner operators who want to create a better business. Here are your hosts, Chris and Mark. Welcome listeners again to another episode of the Better Business Podcast. Chris Pesamenti here and joining me, Mark Eggleston. Good morning, Mark. Morning, Chris. How are you? I'm very well. How are you, mate? I'm, I'm actually bloody good. That's the way. That's how I want to hear without putting too fine a point on it. <laughs> Although I haven't had a coffee yet, so I could get a bit antsy by the end of this podcast. Good, because we today's today's topic requires a little bit of direct antsy kind of conversation, doesn't it? So what it does. we what we want to cover today is not just looking at the topic of sales and selling, but more specifically around how organizations can structure up and strategize and indeed implement um, processes to improve conversion of selling. Because uh, that's, I think that's the golden ticket, don't you reckon, Mark? Conversion? Totally. Yeah, yeah, it is the golden ticket. Yep. So it's not just about a matter of uh, playing, everyone talks about the numbers game and as long as you do X amount of um, proposals or X amount of meetings, um, you'll eventually get X amount of, of sales. It's about how, well, how, do we, how do we actually increase the amount of sales you get for the same amount of activity? Yeah. Yep. So, so where, where do you want to take it? Well, what prompted this thought um, and the consequent discussion between you and I was this, that I was doing a strategy day with an architectural client and part of that strategy day was getting their positioning figured out because they need to change their positioning slightly. It's been a market position as in a geographic area and they're going to go much larger than that. So we had to talk about that and that kind of morphed into who's the rainmaker. And the rainmaker is the owner of the business and he does this intuitively really well. So we're talking about that, rainmaking, etc. And then I said to the 15 of them, so how good are you at sales? So I did that on purpose. What I did on purpose was drop the sales word. So as soon as I dropped the sales word, you just look around the room <laughs> and they're all ash and white just about. Yeah. And what happens, uh, and you'll really need to comment on this, what happens with people when you say sales, they just are fearful of making sales or the sales word or anything to do with sales. And a lot of it, I think a lot of that stems back from, especially when you're talking about highly trained, highly technical people like you were speaking with, and they don't want to see themselves as a salesman or a salesperson, do they? So right there, what you just mentioned was the critical point. So then I said to them, how would it be if we take the sales word out of it completely? Because... The moment you start selling, you are not going to make a sale. Now, energetically, it just has this effect on them, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I, at that point, I give them an example. Have any of you been to buy something lately? You know, car, washing machine, something a bit significant. And how was it if the salesman sold to you? Did he listen to you? Did he, or did he just go on a rant? And, you know, and they all have an example of... So I, <laughs> on, that, on that very subject, I met that guy who's an ex... Uh, a, um, recruitment guy who started a new business Mm -hmm. with someone you and I know. And I had a possible lead for him, but this guy was making me uneasy. And then he launched into the sales process on me and it was almost bullying. And I thought, right, 
firstly, I don't like that myself, and it's really old paradigm. And secondly, if you try that on anyone I'm likely to refer to, well, I'm not referring you to anyone straight up. You can forget that. Yeah, interesting, yeah. You brought out all this insulting language, so what, you don't want your business to go, blah, blah, blah. So going back to the selling process when I say to these guys that when that was like, you, Sorry to interrupt. That was like someone who told me at, at a conference I met him, he was a, a, a sales coach, and I think he was probably more interested in selling his book on selling. And, <laughs> and, and when, <laughs> when he spoke to me, without knowing one bit about me, um, about how busy I was, how full of clients I was or not, or, or whatever it was. Like he, he knew literally nothing about me, um, but he, he proceeded to go and tell me why I needed to, to meet with him and um, potentially sign up to his program because do, do I know that I'm leaving on average $250,000 to $300,000 worth of business on the table every time I, I don't do what he tells me to do? <laughs> I was like a rabbit in the headlights, a deer in the headlights. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm stunned at what I'm hearing here. He just said, look, you got no idea. Basically saying you got no idea how bad you are at doing what you do. And you need right, to look- Great way to sell, isn't it? Insult yeah. you first up. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> well, that was what this, this guy that I was thinking about referring some business to, which I'm never going to refer business to. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so I said to these architects, and they're, they're 30-year-old, really honoured, young people who are great. So I said, okay, how about we do a flop here? This is not about selling. We're going to remove the sales word from it entirely. Yep. And when you, and all of you have converted leads probably, my guess is that you were not selling in any way, shape or form at that point in time. Or not what they think is traditional selling. Exactly. So then I, and I've, I'm really interested in your opinion on this. Then I just moved it around to what you and I know as the higher context of making a sale, which is creating a relationship. Yeah. And then you can see them all breathe out. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Oh. Okay. It's starting in to fact, a little bit back to what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, because of architects are how they are, they're quite good at doing that generally, you know, because they get really in deep with their clients if they're building houses as these guys do. Yep. You know, get quite close to people really early on, even if they haven't signed them up as a client. Because we'd done positioning just prior to this, this led me to a thing that a friend of mine does who is a copywriter and he does positioning for big corporates. When he's doing the positioning, he then does a whole handbook of language that business would use. So it's consistent across the whole business. So out of the positioning exercise that we'd done and we got their positioning word out, by accident, interestingly, it just fell out of someone's mouth. Out of that would come a whole lot of language that they could use when they're talking to a prospective client. Yeah. So a long, slightly long-winded rant is this is why positioning is so important because when you do have it, it really helps you in the conversion process. Going back to what you said initially, when you purposely dropped the word sales into that room and saw their energetic reaction to that, you immediately immediately extrapolate the energy around sales in their business. And if they view themselves as salespeople and a sales process, then you have to say that would absolutely have a negative impact on, on conversion. It would. So making them fall in love about why they do what they do with their clients, that, that really is for them the selling process. You get back to loving what you do and, and it, it almost sells itself, doesn't it? 
It does. It does. Yeah. Of course, they don't. It'd be unrealistic for anyone to expect they're going to convert every client because you're not. But no. it's certainly going to um, enhance your prospects if you just have a conversation. I was thinking about this and I was thinking if you are getting into a relationship with someone about the prospect of building your house, building a house for them, mm-hmm. the really underlying word for that is trust. Because you won't get into a relationship with anyone if they don't trust you. I didn't trust that guy I was thinking of referring. I just instantly didn't trust him. And yeah. then when he tried his sales technique on me, I thought, what? Well, you can forget that. Yeah, they've got to at least um, feel confident to say, well, whoever I'm going to put in front of someone else I've got a lot of respect for represents me in the right way. Because you wouldn't go and refer someone to, to a restaurant that you've never eaten at for the simple fact that what if they have a bad, what if your friend has a bad experience and they go, hey, why'd you send me to that place? And you go, oh, wasn't it any good? And they go, well, wasn't it any good when you went there? And you say, well, I've never been there. And all of, all of a sudden that trust and credibility just goes straight out the window in your relationship. Well, I would refer them to a restaurant that I've never been to if they serve cannoli. Oh, well, see. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to go and blur the lines like that, mate. No, I know. It's just not on. So um, what, are, now, what I thought we'd... It's important to know mm-hmm. that what you're, what you're talking about here as well is when we talk about the relationship sales, if you like, um, context, it, it's different to, say, someone marketing a product. Because it, it is a different approach when you're talking about architects in deep relationship, um, you know, consultants in deep relationship, anyone in professional services typically sells off the back of their relationship and their credibility and trust. Um, they do. It, but they are, in a sense, um, the distributor of, of another product, i.e. accountants essentially distribute um, the tax law from the government um, architects essentially distribute all the um, you know, rules and regulations and creativity that comes with their training and whatnot. So it's very much a relationship selling uh, approach. So I don't want to, I don't want listeners to think, yeah, but also a big part of selling is what about the marketing? What about the advertising? Yet we get that. Let's just leave that to the side for the minute. Yeah. That would only drive leads anyway. Any yeah. Well, or or in, in the instance where you, you might have a, an online store that sells, um, like uh, one of the organisations I've worked with that just got online stores selling food products. You don't really need to go and build a heap of relationship with a broader market. No, you don't. It, it what, helps if you've got good relationship because that'll leverage your um, market. Yes, but they'll refer someone it, to you. Yeah. But realistically, it becomes a different process altogether. A really good example of that is online food product is a friend of mine buys garlic Yep. Like about six bulbs at a time. Let's say it comes in a really nice little purpley colored box with straw in it mm-hmm. from a woman called Patrice Newell. Now, I didn't buy this garlic, but he gave me a box of it yep. one day. And it's fantastic. It's grown in Australia. Yep. Uh, so, boom, for me, straight up buy the garlic from her. Okay, fair enough. I'll leave it posted to you so, by referral, uh, like you, someone you saying, hey, go there. Use that as an example so we can sort of tie up a few loose ends in this conversation here. Linking the positioning of that garlic, because you started saying about conversion and how we, how we increase conversion. So what makes that, that whole packaging and positioning around that garlic and in the end, the quality, what makes you go, oh, now I've got to buy that garlic. So you would actually walk past garlic in the supermarket now and not buy it to add an extra process to jump online and buy it from Patrice Newell. Two things. Firstly, the person that referred me to it is uber picky. 
Okay. About everything. Good. Everything. Yeah. So I know it's good. Secondly, so you immediately, you immediately trust that that referral. Yep. Hmm. It can be so picky. It can be highly irritating at times, but that notwithstanding, yeah. um, it's delivered to you. I like that. And my other huge thing is I refuse to buy Chinese garlic. Okay, well, there you go. Or Turkish garlic or any other garlic that's not grown here. Not yes, so grown in Australia is a big driver. Yeah, yeah, big driver. So just on linking the positioning then from, from I guess, that garlic business model perspective is that they, they lean heavily on this um, easy to order, packaged well, all that sort of stuff. But would you say that the key driver there is, is grown in Australia? High quality grown in Australia. High quality grown in Australia. Mm-hmm. And so this gets back to one of our earlier podcasts of there's no such thing as competition. If this um, company that sells this garlic knows that there is a big market or enough market out them out there f- for them to run their business and sustain it and, you know, be a viable operation for people who love high quality garlic grown in Australia, then that has a direct correlation to if they can tap into that marketplace somehow, then that's where the conversion conversation comes into play, isn't it? That's where you start linking your your selling processes through your positioning. Yes, indeed. So it'd be interesting to know how they actually market and, and find their channels. Well, I'll bring this back to the architect right now. Yeah. Because their positioning is an interesting one. Because that's the bit in the middle, isn't it? Like Once you've got your position and you want to get your conversion, you've got to go, well, then how do we tap into the right channels? You do. But let's say with this particular architect, their channel is a geographic area. Yep. So That's right. I remember you saying in an earlier one, yeah. in, in a very people, small pocket of northern, northern Sydney. Oh, a really wealthy suburb of Sydney. Yep. People, you know, one of the wealthier suburbs of Sydney. So yep. people driving around that suburb will see their houses. Real estate agents, when they're advertising a house that these architects have already built, they give their name saying this is a, this is oh, a okay. house, house by these architects. So it already has provenance. So they get work from real estate agents. They get, they get a lot of referral work. Yep. So how does this, so essentially you're saying there, it almost becomes a, a norm that if you live in, in exclusive suburbs, oh, they operate, it becomes a bit of a norm that if you're going to do anything to your house, that requires some architectural intervention. These are the people. This is, I would say to him, you need to do these actual physical things, but out of that, you need to write some language for them. So when they're in a meeting a potentially new client, they have a way of speaking what they do so it's consistent. And this is where the bulldust bingo comes into play. <laughs> this, is how, <laughs> this, is, this is how whole, you know, uh, rel- reams of corporate mumbo-jumbo get, get developed over time. Could you, could you imagine every business in Australia just uh, coming up with their own language? Oh, it'd be dreadful. Fantastic. When you get a, an expert to do it, it's really worthwhile. <laughs> I mean, you, have to, you have to vet it, of course. So if you, can, you need to read it and say, this is relevant to us, or no, this doesn't resonate with what we do. Yeah. Be quite honoured. That's what I always love when you, when you see those ads on TV where, where someone's got, you know, Clark dissolving technology in their toothpaste. You know, I, lo- I, I always love when, when someone comes up with some language and at the end of the sentence is that technology, whatever they've been, whatever they yeah, do, it's technology. The that project, product is, there's technology involved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So no, somewhere, I, I take your point, though. You, you do have to develop no, look, lines in the language. Not, this isn't complicated. This is really, this is not complicated. Yeah. And it's just to, get, to make it easier for, uh, there's a very, in, in that organisation, there's a very honoured, I don't know, she'd be 30-year-old woman who understands Instagram, all of those things. She does all their own electronic marketing. But when I get her to speak, to me as if I were a potential client, why I would use her. I just watch her stumble. Yeah, interesting. And she's articulate as hell. Yeah, but but it's actually being able to articulate it, whether it's the value proposition, what they do for clients, um, what makes them special, what makes them famous, whatever it is, when you ask people saying, well, and because and, it is can be a confronting question, you know, and, and sometimes test your own staff on this. You know, any, any people out there listening with a business, Sometimes it maybe maybe even turn it around to your staff and say, "Why would our clients use us? Or why would our next big proposal that we're about to submit? What would make them choose us? Why us?" And just see if anyone has a really clear cut answer for it. Yeah, it's really interesting because what I will do with this business next is run them through when they're in front of a potential client how to conduct that meeting. And all, all this leads to, con, you know, increased conversion. But I'm just thinking, so h- how do we take this into, say, different type of organisation? So if we're talking about converting... I think we need to draw a line in the sand here between someone that makes a thing, yeah. a product, or someone that sells a service. Yeah, and so you this, and I, I think, deal mostly with service-based businesses. Yeah, exactly. So financial services. Let, let, let's look at, a, say, a financial services, whether they're um, a suburban financial planner or accountant. And like you say, it's very hard to distinguish between services. How do, how do they increase their conversion when you've typically got that situation where someone says, hey, I, I need to change accountants um, and I'm interviewing three? How do you be one of those three that makes sure that that, that person, if they fit your type of client, for starters, we, we established that, that you want them as a client, um, how do you increase your conversion opportunity? That's a very tough question, Mr. Pezzanetti. Because what I'm interested here in this conversation is then the mechanics of, of inc- improving conversion. Because we've established that if you've got a clearly articulated position and you've got a, a good um, ring fence around the type of client that you want to work with, so you understand what they look like, you understand what's going to attract them, um, it's, it's the mechanics of what happens in between. And we spoke before a little bit about, I guess, the channels. So you, you mentioned referring um, parties. So, mm-hmm. so there's a big one here for me that says you've got to tap into the right sources. So if you look at this as a bit of a flow and you say, um, we've worked out our position as a strategic um, process, if you like. Now we have to look at how do we find out, how do we find the right channels as the next part before we start to try and go and sell whatever it is we're trying to sell? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So in fact, you have got the appropriate people yeah. turning yeah. up you in have front to. of you. That's right. Yeah. So if you're an accountant, you have to say, okay, where are my clients most likely to come from? And we all know that most of your clients come from existing client referrals. There's a massive proportion of um, professional services, businesses, or any service um, related work where your next client, what I found is generally more than a seven out of 10 chance to come from a current client referral. Yes. So you look at your biggest distributor straight away is your existing clients. <laughs> so your existing clients, that is exactly true. Your existing it is a really interesting thing there. Right in that little spot you just mentioned, how often 
have you been in front of a client and said to them, how have you asked one of your clients for a referral? This yeah. is what I get when I ask that often. They go, no, they'll know to refer me. Yeah, they know. If, if they like uh, what yeah. they do, they'll do it. Yeah, and you go, no, they don't. It's not top of their mind. Yeah. So that's the thing. So if you look at it, and, and another thing that I've actually experienced with clients where they come up with these elaborate marketing programs and elaborate this and elaborate that, and they want to spend money here, there, and everywhere. And you say, okay, that's all going to cost you, say, $150,000 this year. What if you didn't spend any of that and you just spent $10,000 or $12,000, just say $1,000 a month, on taking your best dozen clients out to lunch once a month for the rest of the year. What impact do you reckon that would have in relation to all these people you don't know about yet? And it's just, it's just a question I ask them just to change their perspective on, on the same problem to get them to understand that if, if by their own admission, and we always do this backed up by the research, you know, in their, from their own experiences in their organization about where their clients come from, that if they've got a greater than 70% chance of getting a next client from their own client base, spend your money on your clients. That is so true. There's a big context that sits behind this that says, this is about improving your conversion opportunities. It's almost like your bang for buck conversation. If we're going to spend X amount of money to acquire new clients, um, where, where should we spend it in a way? Um, and then what do we do when we've got the opportunity? So let, let's look at the first part around, around the channel around the distributor, if you like. If you're going to spend the money and a big and you've already done like what you're saying, you've done a bit of a, an analysis to say, what, what are our sources of new clients? Because existing clients will be one, but then there'll be other really strong sources. You might have organizations that sit outside your business or other channels that are good referral part, partners. It's really funny. There's a, there's a local mechanic I go to. He, he He's um, you know a specialist in a few types of cars and and so I, I use him instead of the dealership because I'm out of warranty periods and all that sort of stuff. Fantastic mechanics. Every time you go there for a service, he'll say, now, have you, have you done X, Y, and Z? Because he's got a relationship with a tyre place down the road. And he'll say, hey, by the way, your, your rear left is looking a little bit bald. Um, go and speak. And he'll name them by name. He'll, you know, almost set up the appointment for you. And, and before you know it, you're down at, at his mate down the road getting new tyres on your car. Um, and vice versa, you know, you go and get a, a, a screw removed from one of your tires and, and he'll say, now you might need to get a wheel alignment, go up to the mechanic up the road there and book in for a wheel alignment. So, you know, it's, it's understanding that there can be business relationships outside of your client base that will refer to you regularly. So that's usually the big two, your clients and then other complementary services that will refer to you because you've built up a good relationship and trust with them over the years. That, that's why you always get asked, I think, well, not always, but a lot of the times when you go and buy something, you have that experience where they say, oh, how'd you hear about us? Because all they want to do is track down is where are our customers coming from? And yeah, then how many people do you, do you know? How many clients have you got that don't ask that question? Well, there'd be a few, I reckon. There'd be, <laughs> there'd be a few who just uh, remiss it sometimes where they just don't have a good, um, process for capturing that yeah, it's not failure either but it's good to know well it's a, I, I think it's actually especially when you're selling services i think it's crucial to know because one is you can always close the loop with a referring partner if they're known to you so if it's a if it's a client that's referred another new client to you it's always very 
um, well received and and good practice to go back to that client and thank them for that referral. Some people have, you know, referral partner um, you know, incentives and things like that. Um, but I think it's you know it's a really nice thing to say thank you. Hey, oh, we totally. met, met nice with so and so. This happened to me the other day. I just a guy rang me out of the blue last Saturday while I was in the middle of my round of golf and. I took the call because it wasn't identified as spam. I thought it might be someone that's known to me. In the end, it wasn't. But he was a a fellow who said, hey, so-and-so um, spoken to me about you. Sorry, it's a Saturday afternoon. Just letting you know while top, you're top of mind, um, do you want to have a chat on Monday and we can set up a meeting? So I went and met with this person. But then the first thing I did when I left that person was go back to the person who referred him and just said, hey, thanks for the uh, referral uh, appreciate the the thought that you you know were thinking of me and identified a potential uh, client. Um, you know, really appreciate it, and it, and it's just a really nice, easy thing to do. And so that's what good to know the next client comes from. Yeah. So it, just um, to move this along a little bit, so we've got this situation now where we're starting to look at we're we're clear on our position. Now we're starting to look at where do our clients come from? And if we know that, like you said, you can really easily do this by just drawing, you know, links to your business in the middle and just asking a question of your team. Um, okay. Where are our best sources for attracting new work? Often that comes from your existing clients. That'll be one of the bubbles. Uh, like we said, you might get really good um, opportunities from doing, uh, seminars and presentation that's usually another one um, as, as you know in, in professional services you you do often have to get out there and present and uh, it, often it's presenting research or presenting a new idea or presenting a new trend or or whatever it is but that's always that. if you're if you're doing presentations um, and people in the service industries are listening to this you need to give something away of value yes don't make a twee you've got to actually let people walk away with something that they can use. Right then and there. So uh, I was thinking about the revenue framework. This is a sequential a series of steps that drives revenue into your business. So if one's broken, everything after that won't work. So at the very top is your product. Is your product any good? Are you confident with your product? Is there a demand for it in the market? Okay, tick, it's good. Next one under that is your position. What your positioning. So your product then goes into your positioning. Do you know how to, do you know why your clients buy from you? And can you describe that to people? Yes, good, tick. Next one underneath that, that, that then flows into is your distribution network. In other words, who refers you business? And the reason positioning is above distribution is so you can say to your distribution network, this is why clients buy from us. It makes it really easy or easier for them to refer to you. Perfect, yeah. That's after fine. that is, look, we'll call it the sale for now, but after that is converting. So yes. if you've got a warm lead, someone's referred to you, it's a whole bunch easier to convert that than a cold one. You then have the prospect to convert someone. So as I just said, are they a warm lead or a cold lead? And way easier to convert a warm lead, obviously, because they already know quite a bit about you. They know someone that's used you. You're not starting from square one. And then yeah. after that become, then after that, comes what you actually do so do you do that efficiently and then at the end of that is what you talked about which is going back up so completing the loop going back up to your clients that do use you and loving them because then they'll just refer you more 
Yeah, and it, it's it's again closing that loop. So the better you the better you service the client in the system, the more likely you are to have that client go back and refer to you. So they loop back to that like where you said at distribution, where they become a distributor of you, where they yep. actually become a referrer or an advocate. Yep. So I refer them, in, uh, look after them in the system. Yeah, absolutely right. And like you say, if you if you draw this flow out and just do sort of that tick and cross um, that you spoke about. You can, you can just really quickly go down that flow, product, position, distribution, sales, your, your delivery and your service in that flow and just go, is this clear? Is it articulated? Is it working for us? What is the chink in our armour that we need to address? And usually yes. it's a fair way back up the, the chain than you think. A lot of people think That's about, exactly right. well, we're not converting well enough, so we've got to go and do more activity. And then so you start spinning your wheels on doing activity when you're not clear about when you're actually going back to distributors who are never going to sell you or never going to buy you um, or your positioning's unclear or the product isn't quite right or whatever it is. So it's about really questioning it all the way through um, and not just doing more of the same because you can burn so much energy, money, time forcing people to go out there and just, oh, well, you've got to go and do more appointments. You've got to go and you're not, you're not seeing enough people. You're not talking to enough people, which is, which is generally, I mean, activity, you do need to do the activity, but you need to do the efficient activity. And this is where the conversion conversation comes into play because if you're doing the right amount of activity or, or a good amount of activity, but you're very, very clear on what you're, value proposition is, why people would buy from you, uh, who's going to use you, all that sort of stuff. Then, And you've got a good process on how you conduct that meeting. You communicate well, you present well, you understand it all. Then that's where your conversion opportunities start. Um, your percentages of conversion go through the roof. It's not just going and doing a bunch more, 10 more meetings of crap because there's no point to that at all. And that's actually then becomes quite um, disengaging. It's de-energizing. Well, it's de-energizing and then disengaging for the people that have to go and do it because, yeah, you know, that they just start feeling like, well, hang on a minute, are, are we flogging a dead horse here? Does anyone yeah. really want what we have? Um, I don't more long? No, I don't think so. So is it worth d just doing a really quick recap of some of the highlights? Well, there? what I was going to say is that it, shortly you'll be able to see this flow from product down to servicing your clients on Instagram, if that's where we put it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is worth doing a really quick recap. But what I would say is that next podcast related to this will go into the con how to convert. Yeah, so the actual meeting, how to run the meeting. The actual, how to run the meeting, step-by-step -step procedure on how to run the meeting. Yeah, and so it's worthwhile. Yeah, worthwhile. Sales. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so how to actually do the sales bit. Yeah. So at the moment, the where we'll leave this one is that you're clear on your position. You've now identified the channels of your most likely referrers. Now, now we need to look at then how do you actually conduct the meeting to convert those relationships into, into relationship, into sales. Yes. Okay. You mentioned their uh, Instagram. So any listeners out there jump onto Instagram on the, the better business podcast, Instagram page, the tile is the familiar tile that you would use when you're listening to this podcast 
There's not a lot of content there at the minute there, but there will be soon. Uh, but just jump on, give us a follow, and then we'll start pumping out some of the content that makes a lot of the topics that we talk about in these podcasts uh, visual. I would just say there, it will be a visual representation of what we've talked about. Yes. I like the term visual vignettes. Beautiful. I love that. It's doing it for me. Yeah. That might even be the uh, hashtag, visual vignette. Cool. Yeah. All right, mate. Good chat. Okay. Excellent. Talk to you soon. Bye.